we lived in a two-room shack, no indoor plumbing. Children slept on the kitchen floor. Dr. Carol Swain says a lot of people have believed that if you're black, female, and poor, you can't accomplish anything. Well, she's proven those beliefs wrong. But after Carol Swain became an Ivy League professor, her career was almost obliterated because of an op-ed piece she wrote about Islam. My name was all over the newspaper and people were saying terrible things about me and I was being harassed. I uh, went back into depression and found myself, you know, crawled up in the bed in the fetal position. Sorrow may come in the darkest night, but the cross has the final word. Dr. Carol Swain is going to share how God has helped her through the turmoil in her life as a young woman and later as a college professor under fire. We should also note that we interviewed Dr. Swain at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, so there are times when you may hear some background noise behind Dr. Swain. You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I'm Phil Fleischman. My co-host, Jim Kirkland, is off this week. A little later in the episode, you're going to hear Billy Graham talk about surrendering your life to God in the very same way Carol Swain has. There's a young woman here tonight that God could mightily use right now in the great spiritual vacuum we find developing in America. If you're totally surrendered and totally dedicated and say, Lord, here's my hand with all I've got, God has a place for you. He can use you. Would you like to learn more about God using you? We can help. Visit this website, findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. And you'll also find a link to that site in the show notes. GPS. God. People. Stories. I was one of 12, born and raised in rural poverty. Um, for the early part of my life, We lived in a two-room shack, no indoor plumbing. Children slept on the kitchen floor. Carol Swain was born in 1954 in Bedford, Virginia. She had a hard, turbulent childhood. My mother and stepfather were alcoholics, and so there was always a fight. One fight that was particularly troubling was the one in which Carol's stepfather chased her mother through the house with an axe while she and the other kids tried to stop him. By the time Carol was a teenager, she wanted nothing more than to get out of there. I dropped out of school after completing uh, the eighth grade, and all of my siblings dropped out of school. I married at 16. I did not marry for love. I was not pregnant. I was trying to get out of that situation. And um, the man I married was a neighbor. He was like uh, maybe four years older. I didn't know this, but he was illiterate. But at the time, he had a car. He had a job. I was so thrilled that anyone would have me. Carol and her husband would eventually have three children together, two boys and a girl. But her baby daughter died of SIDS when she was just a few months old. Carol didn't have a firm spiritual foundation to help her through the loss of her daughter or with other struggles in life. I was born in a family, you know, who were Methodists. And I can remember, you know, my grandmother, she was a pastor's daughter. And she was involved in my life as much as she could be. But my family itself was an unchurched family. And throughout my life, I would say that I was spiritual. 
I would say that even as a child, I was different from my siblings, and I felt that I was supposed to do something. But back then, I didn't know what it was, but I always had a strong sense that there was something I was supposed to do. Uh, Spiritually, I was very lost, but a spiritual person, I believed in one God, many paths. For several years, Carol was a Jehovah's Witness and was taught that the world would end in 1975. I was involved with them as a teenager, and I was knocking on doors. And uh, by 1975, I was so disillusioned with them and with religion and all this, the things that they were saying that I left Jehovah's Witnesses, 1975. 1975 is also the year Carol lost her daughter, and it's the year she filed for divorce. Depression then became something Carol struggled with for years. I was a person that could be very productive with depression, and I always fixed myself up. You know, I would put on my makeup and be dressed, but that would be this internal sadness. A doctor once told Carol she could do so much more with her life than what she was doing, and those words helped motivate her to get her GED. Then she went on to earn a bachelor's degree. After that, Carol earned several advanced degrees, including a Ph.D. in political science from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and a master's in legal studies from Yale. Dr. Carol Swain had accomplished what once seemed totally out of reach for a high school dropout who grew up in a shack. In spite of that, though, Carol still felt empty. I became a university professor at Princeton, got early tenure, earning more money than I ever imagined. Um, I was uh, won national prizes, and for someone looking from the outside, it would seem that I should be happy, but I was miserable, and I remember one of my colleagues joking that I was unhappy if I wasn't winning a prize a week, and I was thinking to myself that he didn't know that... Um, When I did win prizes, I was just relieved because I was already anticipating them. And so I had already set up a a situation where if I didn't win something, I would have been depressed. And when I won, I was relieved, but I was never surprised. And so it was a, a bad way to live. And I was very focused on getting early tenure. That was my obsession. I got it, and it was so empty. And so uh, a depression. I always had a uh, depression. Uh, that uh, really resurfaced after I got tenure because, I mean, I worked so hard to get that lifetime appointment. And then it was like, is this all there is? I thought it was very overrated. The young professor was still searching for something more. I was reading that kind of New Age literature. Uh, I was studying Eastern religions. I was also, you know, reading the Bible some. And I had people, uh, a, a student invited me to church, and I went with the student. It was a, a black student, and she had a piece about herself that I did not have. And I went to church, and, you know, like, and I noticed that she had something I didn't have, but I didn't think much of it, and there were secretaries that were inviting me to Bible studies. In 1997, Dr. Swain had an experience that began to turn her towards Jesus Christ. I went into the hospital for a medical condition at the Princeton Hospital. And while I was there, there was a black Pentecostal chaplain at the Princeton Hospital. That is an affluent community with very few blacks. You know, like, why would they have a chaplain there that was black Pentecostal? And he came into my room and 
Uh, and I remember telling him that if he talked to me, he would be lost because I was a terrible person. <laughs> and he immediately uh, did what any self-respecting black Pentecostal would do. He rebuked that spirit and he prayed with me. And there was a black cleaning lady and she threw a book in my bed about Jesus. And she said, this is all you need. A short time later, the pastor from the hospital baptized Dr. Swain. But even though she was taking steps toward Jesus, she wasn't ready to make him her one and only Lord and Savior. She was still dabbling in other religions. I was probably in that state of being spiritual and thinking about Jesus and including Jesus uh, in there. And God kept sending people. I would go uh, to, you know, to a physical therapist. I would go into a, a building. I would go somewhere and some Christian would come up to me. They kept coming up to me. And it took another couple of years before I had the experience where it all came together to me, what it meant to follow Jesus. And that happened in New Haven, Connecticut. New Haven, Connecticut is where Yale is. And that's where Carol was studying in 1998 when she decided to visit a church. That very first week, I just thought it would be a good thing if I gave money to a church that I had never, um, wasn't, wasn't a regular church goer. And at that point, I was ready to say that God's been good to me. I've been blessed. I ought to give some money to a church. And so I went into the church. I sat in the back, and my plan was uh, to put money in the offering. But I answered the altar call, and I went down to the altar, and I just started sobbing. And I was sobbing, like, uncontrollably. And I was so surprised because I planned out things, and that was not my plan for the day. And I went back to that church a second week, same thing. I'm down at the altar. I'm sobbing, sobbing, and just so confused about what's taking place. Third week, back at the altar, and a woman put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, the Lord tells me you need a mother, and while you're in New Haven, I'm going to be your mother. And at that point, I knew it was God because I grew up feeling like I didn't have a mother, like I was uh, the second or the oldest of 12 children. So my mother was always, you know, having a baby. And so there was so much responsibility on us. Uh, and at times I felt that I was my mother's mother. The people Dr. Swain met at that church in Connecticut helped her grow in her faith and fully reject her previous ventures into non-Christian spirituality. I knew that I needed deliverance because I hadn't been involved in so much New Age stuff. And, you know, like, I was not practicing occult like witchcraft, but I was involved in things that were occultic. But once I got saved, and by the time I came, got to Vanderbilt, I knew what it meant to follow Jesus. Vanderbilt is a prestigious university in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's there where Dr. Swain saw God begin to make some big changes in her life. I knew that my life did not belong to me, and the Lord removed a lifelong fear of public uh, speaking. I had been shy. I had to write out everything I was going to say, and I would read it, and I would be shaking, and if someone asked me my name, sometimes I would freeze, even with my name. Instantly, the Lord removed that, and all of a sudden, I could talk and speak ex, uh, extemporaneously. I could walk out into an audience. I was not clutching the lectrum, and the Lord impressed on my mind that He had given me a message bigger than me, and that as long as I focused on the message, that I could speak. And 
I realized that when I was shy, it was because I had so much fear that I would make a mistake and people would laugh at me, and God removed that fear. And I have been talking nonstop ever since. One of the things God has given Dr. Swain the courage to talk about is an abortion she had in her early 20s. It was right around the time of the U.S. Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision, which legalized abortion. I was just so naive. I thought if something was legal that it must be right because the government protected people. It never occurred to me that the government would legalize something that was harmful to people, and I immediately regretted it. I kept that story hidden until um, probably 2003. But I shared it uh, publicly, and I've spoken at pregnancy crisis centers, and so I've used my mistakes uh, to try to help other people. I believe the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all of my sins, and that when I confessed the sins that I knew that I committed, I believe that God cleansed me of that. And so uh, I have been able to live my life without having tremendous guilt, I just believe that the mistakes that I've made in life, that I'm to share them with other people and maybe help some of them avoid it or help some of them know that uh, there is forgiveness, there is redemption, there is hope. By the mid-2000s, Dr. Swain was publishing books, winning awards, writing op-eds for newspapers, and appearing on CNN and Fox News. Then in 2015, after she had been a professor at Vanderbilt University for a number of years, It looked like everything she had worked so hard for could come crashing down. I had a crisis uh, at my university around an opinion piece. I wrote criticizing Islam, and there was a protest against me, uh, protesting my bigotry and my hatred and all of this stuff. And my name was all over the newspaper, and people were saying terrible things about me, and I was being harassed. I uh, went back into depression and found myself, you know, crawled up in the bed in the fetal position. Dr. Swain's op-ed ran in the Tennessean newspaper a week after Islamist terrorists stormed the offices of the French satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo, which had published cartoons mocking Muhammad. Seventeen people were killed in the attacks that followed. Dr. Swain wrote in her op-ed that Islam posed an absolute danger to the American people. Her words offended a lot of readers, including many Vanderbilt students who promptly called for her to be suspended. When the political left goes after you, and they went after me over uh, things I've said about Islam, over my uh, fight for uh, against some of the things that were being done to Christian groups on campus, uh, on my position on the family with the LGBT issue, they go to destroy. I uh, went to a Christian counselor, but I had a Christian family. And I had friends, and I had people praying for me. I was hurt because I thought it took away from my Christian testimony, because my testimony was that God had saved me, He had taken away my fear of public speaking, and he had taken away the depression. And I, the depression came back for, uh, you know, for you know, a few months. It was a dark period in my life, but God used that to elevate my platform. That dark period was in early 2015. Carol Swain's faith helped her persevere that trial, as well as several other instances when she came under fire for comments denouncing Islam, gay marriage, and liberal politics. I eventually left academia, but I did not do it in the heat of the battle. I left on my own terms when God gave me cause to leave, and God has been very faithful to me. And... um. 
I believe that the best place to be is in the center of his will and the persecution that you are experiencing. That's just evidence, you know, that the enemy doesn't like what you're doing. Like if you're not experiencing persecution, if everyone loves you and and everyone's comfortable with you, then you need to ask, are you accommodating the world? Are you too tolerant? Are you living out, uh, are you following Jesus? Since retiring from Vanderbilt in 2017, Dr. Swain has been focusing on her writing and speaking career. She also recently ran for mayor of Nashville. She didn't win, but she is using her growing platform to encourage people to know and defend the Constitution and to stand up for truth, however unpopular it may be. A book that I wrote in 2011, Be the People, Called to Reclaim America's Faith and Promise. Uh, it's Be the People because I look at America. And, and the book was published in 2011. At that time, around 78% of Americans professed to be Christian. And I looked at all the things that were going on in the world that were anti-biblical. And so it was clear that they either didn't know the tenets of their religion, and they certainly didn't know the Constitution uh, and the uh, Declaration of Independence and those foundational documents. And so the Be the People uh, book and later the Be the People podcast and uh, Be the People nonprofit. It's a call to the we the people, the we the people in the preamble of the Constitution to stand up and be the people who reclaim their nation. And I think that this is still, you know, the greatest nation nation in the world. I just uh, believe that this is a country we're fighting for, and I want people to stand up and be the people who change our nation and our world. Dr. Carol Swain's faith in Jesus Christ has come at a cost. Her career took a hit, and she has faced hate and opposition many times. But to her, following Jesus is worth it. What about you? Are you willing to follow Jesus even though it may cost you something? We want to encourage you to visit findpeacewithgod.net to learn more about what it costs to follow Jesus and what you gain from it. Again, that address is findpeacewithgod.net. In just a minute, Dr. Swain is going to share some practical advice for Christians who find themselves facing backlash or persecution for expressing their faith. You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories, a podcast production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. There's a young woman here tonight that God could mightily use right now. In the great spiritual vacuum we find developing in America. Billy Graham. There's a young man here that could turn America upside down for Christ. If he went all out for Christ, if you're totally surrendered and totally dedicated and say, Lord, here's my hand with all I've got, God has a place for you. He can use you. He knows you and he loves you. And he's interested in you. And he'll go with you from this stadium to lead a whole new life that you never knew existed before. I'm with you till the end of the age, said Jesus. He will be there with you. Are you one of God's children tonight? Have you received him into your heart and life?
We can tell you more about receiving Christ into your heart at this website, findpeacewithgod.net. You've been listening to Dr. Carol Swain, a political scientist, author, and speaker who has taken a lot of heat for her political views. She recently spoke at the annual National Religious Broadcasters Convention, where she shared some practical advice for other Christians who face backlash. The first thing is to remember that God is sovereign and that if you're in the center of his will or if you're one of his children, that he knows where you are, he knows what you're really confronting, and uh, and he will fight. He promises to, to that the battle is not ours when people come against us because of our faith. I would tell uh, people to, um, you know, really uh, know what you believe and don't compromise uh, on your faith principles. At the same time, uh, I think we have to be wise. We have to know which hill we're willing to die on. What was different about uh, having personal attacks as a Christian was that I had a Christian family uh, to rally around me, and that is what has enabled me to endure and to be strong. The Bible talks a lot about the eagle. Well, we can learn from the eagle because the eagle flies into the eye of the storm and uses the wind to propel itself higher. And I think that when the storms come and the persecution, well, Jesus, uh, we're supposed to pick up our cross. Uh, And I think that um, it's part of the Christian walk. We want to thank Dr. Carol Swain for joining us on this episode of GPS. And we want to thank you for listening. I'm Phil Fleischman. GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news. Begin.